In May 2018, the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts amended its patent proceedings rule, Local Rule 16.6, in an effort to streamline and speed up patent litigation. Finnegan attorneys Alyssa Lipton and Christopher Schultz join us now to share insights into the rule changes and how they may impact patent litigation in the district. Christopher, why did the District of Massachusetts update the rule? The short answer is to make Massachusetts a more attractive venue for patent cases and hopefully increase the number of cases brought here. But first, some background. In 2008, the District of Massachusetts adopted Local Rule of Civil Procedure 16.6, which included specific provisions as to how a court should handle patent cases. By its terms, however, the prior rule was not mandatory, but only listed issues the court should consider, along with a sample scheduling order which the court may or may not follow. The rule was also rather limited in addressing a relatively small number of events that occur in patent cases. The District of Massachusetts did not see an appreciable increase in patent cases after the rule was enacted. In 2017, the District of Massachusetts judges decided the patent rule needed to be revamped. This coincided with the T.C. Heartland Supreme Court case, which gives plaintiffs far less choices in where they can bring a suit for patent infringement. This case would dramatically reduce the number of patent cases that could be brought in the Eastern District of Texas, which prior to that decision was the most popular patent district in the nation. Other districts are going to see an increase in cases, It's just a matter of which ones are going to see the largest increase. If the new rule is well received by the patent bar, the timing of the rule could leave the District of Massachusetts well positioned to capitalize on cases which can no longer be brought in certain districts like the Eastern District of Texas. Alyssa, what are the top differences between the new rule and the prior rule? I first note that the new local rule 16.6 applies to all cases for which a scheduling order had not yet issued as of June 1, 2018. The two most significant changes contained in the new rule are the requirements that a claim construction hearing be held within nine months of the initial scheduling conference and that trial be scheduled within 24 months of the initial scheduling conference. There were no such time limits in the prior rule. Significantly, the new rule also requires swift, automatic patent-related disclosures of both the patentee and the accused infringer. The disclosures begin within 21 days of the court's initial scheduling conference when the patentee's preliminary disclosures, including infringement charts, are due. Then there is a required meet and confer about both parties' initial patent disclosures within 21 days after the patentee's initial disclosures. Finally, the accused infringer is required to serve within 21 days of the meet and confer its initial disclosures, including invalidity and non-infringement claim charts, technical documents, samples, and source code if applicable. Notably, the new rule states that the preliminary patent-related disclosures may be amended and supplemented only by leave of court upon a timely showing of good cause. This is in contrast to the prior rules template scheduling order which provided that the preliminary disclosures could be amended and supplemented up to a suggested 30 days before the claim construction hearing. Christopher, how does the District of Massachusetts rule differ from those in other district courts? The rule borrows heavily from the patent rules in other patent-heavy jurisdictions, such as the Northern District of California and the Eastern District of Texas, but also includes several unique provisions. The rule includes specific time-to-trial and time-to-the-end-of-discovery provisions that are not provided for in those other districts. 
There are also substantive differences in what documents the plaintiff and defendant need to provide in conjunction with their infringement and invalidity contentions. For example, both parties must provide documents related to who the real parties in interest are, which is not a requirement of other local patent rules. The rule also requires a plaintiff to identify whether they are relying on direct or indirect infringement and to describe the role of multiple parties participating in the alleged infringement. Finally, there is also a required meet and confer set forth in the rules regarding the plaintiff's infringement contentions, which is not provided for in those other districts. Now, Alyssa, from a plaintiff's perspective, what is attractive about the Massachusetts rule changes and what's attractive from a defendant's perspective? From a plaintiff's perspective, the rules relatively fast track to a claim construction hearing and to trial is attractive. Plaintiffs may also find beneficial the rules requirement that the accused infringers produce samples and source code. These default requirements of the rule are intended to allow plaintiffs access to this discovery without the need to resort to motions practice in the typical case. From a defendant's perspective, the rules requirement that patentees provide detailed preliminary disclosures is attractive. The rule requires that the patentee specify which subsections of Section 271 apply as well as, for means plus function claims, the identity of corresponding structures or methods. Finally, the patentee must specify, for any alleged infringement based on the acts of multiple parties, the role of each party in the infringement. These early disclosure requirements will give defendants more time to prepare and pursue discovery on non-infringement and invalidity defenses. And finally, Christopher, what impact do you expect the rule changes to have on future patent filings? It remains to be seen. The District of Delaware has seen a significant increase in cases filed as a result of cases being diverted from the Eastern District of Texas due to the T.C. Heartland case. We will have a much better idea as to what effect the rule changes will have on District of Massachusetts filings in a few months. The T.C. Heartland case, combined with the fast time to trial that some plaintiffs favor, would seem to make it inevitable that the District of Massachusetts will see some increase. It's just a matter of how much. It also might mean that we'll see more of a certain type of plaintiff's cases that favor a two-year time-to-trial track. Either way, I expect the new rule to have a significant impact in the way patent cases are litigated in the District of Massachusetts. Our guests have been Alyssa Lipton and Christopher Schultz, partners at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.